0: Voices out there trying to tell us what to buy, what to value, and how to live life. How do we make sense of all this? When Jesus approached his wayward disciples, he simply said, Follow me. As we accept Jesus as Lord, we allow his voice to grant us guidance, direction, and wisdom for our hearts, lives, and homes. Today, we light the fourth advent candle to hold fast to Jesus, seek his forgiveness rest in his protection, and commit to follow him as we read God's word from Micah 5, verses 1 through 5a. Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Your ruler, Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. He will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. Uh, You may be seated. you.
1: I'm sorry to say that today is the last day of my son's acting debut. (laughs) I know he'll be disappointed about that. This series is called Christmas Unexpected because Jesus the Messiah came in the first century amidst expectations that a Messiah would come, but there were many people that didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah because the message that he brought, the life that he lived, and ultimately the death that he died was not quite what people were expecting in the Messiah. And so we've been combing through all the different expectations these last uh, four weeks of the Messiah, what was expected of the Messiah in the first century and how Jesus fulfilled those expectations but not in the way, or fulfilled those prophecies but not in the way that they were particularly expecting him to. And in that, my hope has been that we could maybe widen our boxes a little bit to be open to how God could surprise us as we live in relationship with him. Um, Today, I want to talk a little bit about traditions. Uh, There are lots of traditions that um, I look forward to each Christmas time, and they stem from a lot of different memories. I can remember as a kid, me and my two siblings, we would Uh, be asked to sit at the top of the stairs while my dad went down and put the coffee on. And the room where the tree was was just right there so we could hear him. And he would whip us into a frenzy. He would say, oh, wow, that's it. Oh, my goodness, I wasn't expecting that one. And, of course, we're just going wild, ready to just storm down into this room. So finally, the coffee's on, and they release the hounds. And... We come stumbling down the stairs. I'm surprised none of us got injured in that process. And before my parents could stop us, we are ripping through all of these presents. And before, in a minute, in an instant, everything is torn open. And it's just carnage on the, on the floor there. And of course, this is the point in time where my mom remembers that she wanted to put on her latest Sandy Patty CD. Some of you remember Sandy Patty? Sandy Patty. This is my childhood growing up, Christian singer Sandy Patty. Um, And then we would eat together, and my mom would always make this this bread, this manna from heaven called monkey bread. And these little pillowy dough balls with sugar and cinnamon, and oh, it was so good. And we had Christmas yesterday with my parents, and my mom made it for me. I'm like, oh, I got there before my brother got there so I could eat, (laughs) eat all of it. And uh, so these are things that I would look forward to each year, these traditions that we would have for, for Christmas. But just like most traditions, there are times when you're expecting these sorts of things to take place, um, but you know, it doesn't exactly happen the way that, that you were expecting it to. Uh, case in point, one particular year, a dog got a hold of the monkey bread before anybody else, uh, the whole plate of it, actually. I was pretty disappointed in that. We also had another dog at a different time, a, a beagle who loved to go just get lost just run out, and you could hear him in the distance in the woods, just howling and howling, you know, catch, picking up a scent and all of that. Well, that happened partic- on one particular Christmas Eve, and my dad was reminding me of this yesterday as we were talking, and Sammy the beagle got out and in the, at, late at night. and keep in mind, my dad was a pastor, so he had already was pre- had preached Christmas Eve services. He was no doubt tired. He stayed up till two in the morning trying to chase this dog down because it was cold outside. He didn't want to go to sleep, and then the dog's trying to come back and, and all of that. So they're out chasing this dog, and uh, they're telling me and reminding me that the neighbors were hearing all this take place and just laughing, and they, they came back later because. There was at one point where my dad sensed the dog coming around the house and he just jumped at him and tackled him and the dog wailed and wailed and the neighbor said to him, well, Larry killed the dog. <laughs> Doesn't go quite exactly as you, as you want it to. Um, my wife's family always celebrated the bulk of Christmas, their Christmas holiday and all their traditions on Christmas Eve. Well, I kind of ruined that because Amanda married a pastor and normally have services on Christmas Eve, so I ruined everything. No, I'm just kidding. They, they were able to change things up. But these traditions that we have, right, we, we look forward to them, they sort of lead us into certain expectations, but rarely does it really happen that way, which is a shame because the Christmas time really is filled with all kinds of nostalgia, isn't it? Don't we get that warm feeling inside, we remember these sort of things, we uh, look forward to our traditions, and we're filled with this nostalgia and the memories of the past and, and all of these things, but, but, you know, history never exactly ever repeats itself. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago. We had our annual Christmas party with a group of friends that we've known for a long time, and we all sat around and shared our best memories of our Christmas parties, and there were some doozies, let me tell you. We There were some fun activities and fun, you know, funny things that happened in the course of our Christmas parties uh, over the year. So we were just sort of laughing, remembering these things, but at the same time, it was kind of sad because it was just a gentle reminder that all of us have young children, and we're looking forward to going to bed at nine nine o'clock at night. (laughs) Never exactly happens the way we want it to as much as we would look forward to repeating the traditions of the past, it never quite lines up in the, same, in the same way. And you know, you can ask certain people that this year, people that have experienced loss this year, people that are missing loved ones, And at the holiday time, as much as it's filled with nostalgia and good feelings and warm memories, for many of us, maybe many of you, the holidays are simply a reminder of what you've lost. And that can make things really hard, can't it? Tradition is is a really big deal in this book, the Bible. It's chock full of remembrances of the past, And sometimes it was tradition that the people in the midst of their pain and suffering, that's all that they could look forward to, that's all that they could call back to, to to anchor them and to to hold them and tether them to to their faith, to their community, to their identity. And one of those uh, traditions was uh, a belief that there would be a ruler one day that would come in and just take charge of everything and would eradicate the evil that, it, that takes place and exists in this world. And it was read for you, but this is a different version here in Micah 5, chapter 2. And it just simply says, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, you who are, are one with little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, Whose origin is from of old, from ancient days? This belief uh, really stemmed um, all the way, I would argue, from the very beginning of, of the Bible, but there was a specific promise given to a man by the name of Judah, that, that his line, his lineage, would out, out of his lineage, this ruler would come. And there was a particular king of Israel that was really the most popular king that came from the line of Judah. His name was David. Many of you probably know about David, David and Goliath. David was really heralded as this quintessential, this shining example of what a king of Israel, what this ruler would be like. And so it was assumed that the lineage would just continue to take place with strong leadership and would fight back the evils of the world. But it really didn't happen that way. It kind of went sideways after, after David. King after king, leader after leader, ruler after ruler with corruption and injustice and, and idolatry. And so over time, the prophets began to speak out. And when you read the prophets in the Bible, um, you, you get the same sort of picture each time you, you read the same one, that there's this cycle of of wrongdoing of of corruption of of sin, the treatment of the least of these in their community uh, specifically to to feed themselves and to and to herald their their themselves and and idolatry and worship of other gods and idols around them, they began to speak against these leaders and these and these rulers, and uh, even to the point where God was, go- was so unhappy that, that he was gonna be sending foreign armies against Israel to, to, set them, to set them straight and to send them that message. And you've been hearing that in all of these different messages uh, that we've had in this, in this series. And you've heard a lot of different names of different um, oppressive armies coming. And it's hard to get the, the history down. I, so I had a little bit of a, a, a lineage here, a lineage of the oppressors. Um, that are there for you, and you, first it was the Assyrians, and, and then the Babylonians, and the Persians, and, and Micah, the book of Micah was written as a warning at the very beginning, really, that the Assyrians were going to be coming, and then after them, the Babylonians, and then the Persians would go, and this is, I'm covering a long span of history here, but then there are the Greeks, and then something happened when, when the Greeks were sort of messing around there, and desecrating the temple, there was a a revolution by the name of a man uh, named uh, Mattathias Maccabee and his five sons, they took off on this revolution and fought back the armies. It was kind of bloody and fought back everyone there and it started this sort of dynasty of kings and there was this sort of impression that they were going to have their ruler again. In fact, there were whispers, growing whispers, that that the, the Maccabees, this guy Mattathias Maccabees, he, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's this ruler. Maybe he's this guy that's gonna take charge and finally establish God's kingdom once and for all. But you know, the same thing sort of happened again. There was corruption and idolatry and all of these things in this particular dynasty. Now I'm going through all of this with you um, for, for a purpose. It's gonna, it's gonna, uh, it's going to resonate with you in a second. But after, after this dinosaur, during this dynasty, the Romans, the Roman Empire, began to start a, you know, gaining power, and, and they were looking to gain power over that area specifically. And the, 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 the Hasmonean dynasty were kind of fighting with the Romans, Romans coming in with lots of power. And so the Romans themselves established their own king of this area. You might remember, you might recognize the name. His name was Herod the Great, okay? So Herod the Great, um, not a part of this family, not a part of this prophecy, not a part of this, of this promise of this great ruler, but Herod the Great, established by the Roman leaders to be, and this is quotation, to be the king of the Judeans, the king of the Judeans now. Herod was really, and I use this cautiously. He was a wretch of a man. <laughs> now we know this sometimes. You know when we read um, the Bible, and um, we're going to read Matthew two and kind of talk to you a little bit about this. But uh, what's not in the scriptures? This guy was even worse than the, the ones depicted in the in the scriptures. Um, he he set up a lot. You know he he did a lot actually in Jerusalem, but he also established all of these different. Pillars and temples for all the Greek and Roman gods in the different areas and, and that kind of thing. And when he got older in life, he got a little paranoid and was afraid that his growing sons were, would overtake him. So he had three of his sons killed out of his own uh, paranoia. I mean, just not, not a good guy, right? So it's out of this situation that Jesus comes. It, it's It's out of this situation where the people are kind of, well, they're asking this particular question. They're asking themselves, who's in charge here? You know, we've been subjected to all of these rulers and oppressors for so long, generation after generation after generation. Who is finally gonna take charge over the situation that I'm living in right now? And I think we know that question, don't we? Who's gonna take charge? When I read the news on my tablet, (laughs) not the newspaper, I was gonna say. No one does that anymore. (laughs) When I read the news and I see all the devastation and the injustice and the oppression and war all around the world, who's in charge here? Who's gonna take charge of this chaos and this, this, this struggle and this strife and the suffering in this world? Who's gonna take charge amidst all of our loss when death has surrounded us, when we're faced with the things that are greater than us, that, that dictate us, that, that we have no power over, when we are subject to those forces, who's really in charge here? Is, is death in charge? Is devastation in charge? Is suffering in charge? If we were to give them and personify them and give them names? Are these the things that are Lord over us? Are these the real rulers? God, I need someone to take charge of this situation. This is the question that Jesus enters into. This is the question that's hanging so heavy on the hearts of the people of God Who's in charge This is This is the situation that the Christ child comes into. You know, and it's almost like, it's almost like the pain and the discomfort and the weight that Mary was carrying as she was carrying this baby boy. You know, it's almost every generation after Jesus Almost every generation after Jesus, someone comes up and looks at the devastation around them and says, is this the time? Like, is this the time Jesus is gonna come back? And I know sometimes people say that on the radio or news and we kind of, ah, you know. But it's out of that sense of, who's in charge here? And the greater the pain, the greater urging and hunger for a Messiah to come and set it all right again, that's the question that Jesus enters into. So, as you can imagine, uh, Herod, who was proclaimed by the Romans as king of the Judeans or King of the Jews, uh, he wasn't too happy to hear that there might be another. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we see how he responds as wise men come to Herod and kind of kind of break the news. Uh, Matthew 2, chapter. Or chapter two, verses one through six, it says, in, that, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where's the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and um, take note, this is actually the scripture that was read for you in Micah 5, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel, shepherd and ruler are the same, come from the same word. So Herod was threatened by this king of the Jews. Jesus grows older and he begins to demonstrate power and authority, power over sickness by healing people, power over natural elements of the world, turning water into wine, spiritual power Casting out demons in individuals. He demonstrated and displayed this power and this authority. And towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. And people around him shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And scholars would have realized, man, they're treating him a lot like David. This looks like a lot like a king riding into Jerusalem. And people of that day that believed in Jesus, believed that he was the Messiah, no doubt had this expectation that Jesus was riding in to take over. Jesus riding into Jerusalem to finally be the ruler, the political ruler that they were hoping for. That he was gonna set it straight, he was gonna eradicate all of the oppressors and the evil forces, he was gonna make it good again. But that's not what happened, was it? Jesus didn't exactly fulfill that expectation. Why? Why did Jesus not take over in that moment? Despite the urgings and the desperation, finally God would would do something about the oppression of the land, why? Well we get a little clue in Matthew chapter 20 In Matthew chapter 20, there's a conversation that Jesus has with the disciples and he kind of explains all of this. And this conversation comes uh, because uh, two disciples, James and John, their mom had joined the PTA and they wanted the best placement with their teacher. And they said, Jesus, when you're in your kingdom and you're on your throne, can my two sons sit at your right and your left? And Jesus kind of just says, you know, you, you don't know what you're asking, lady. And kind of kind dismisses it in that way. And out of that, he takes it as a teaching moment for the disciples. And here's what he says. He says, you know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Meaning they, 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 they rule by force. They rule through oppression. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Now this is a critical part because Jesus now is going to talk about himself. He says, just as, just as the son of man, he was talking about himself, it's it's a Messiah term, the son of man came not to be served like a ruler or a king, in which that we would expect, but to serve. And more than that, to give his life a ransom for many. This is what we call the upside down kingdom of God. Or the great reversal, some people call it where you would expect on this earth a ruler would act like a ruler, but Jesus redefines what it means to rule in a much broader sense and and, and, and really from God's point of view. Not from our point of view, but from from God's point of view. That what Jesus had come on this earth to do was not to, to take political rule, but to give up his life as a ransom For many. Now, this doesn't mean that we shelve the promise that one day God's gonna make it all right again. That one day corruption and oppression will cease. That one day sickness and death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. We don't have to put that on the shelf because Jesus will come and return again and establish and complete and restore that kingdom in its fullness. But when Jesus came in the first century, over 2,000 years ago, what he came for was us, was for our hearts, was for our lives. And the invitation for us is, is for our hearts. Now when we're going through difficult times, sometimes that feels like a cop-out. What we really want God to do is take away our problems, take away our enemies, take away our oppressors, eliminate the pain, remove all of our hardship. That's what we want God to do. And sometimes when we say, no, it's, it's about what God is doing in our hearts, Oh, that's such a cop-out. But if you let that sit with you a little bit, and you reflect, maybe on your life, and you can hear from my testimony of what happened to my life when I gave over my life to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. My life was transformed. And I've heard so many stories from your life. You say, "Wow, well, you wouldn't believe what I was doing before I became a Christian. And God transformed when I gave my life over to his rule, over to his lordship, over his kingship. I was transformed. And I have to think, wow, if that happened in me and, and, and that happen, happens in, in you, I wonder what the world would look like. I wonder how the world would take shape. I wonder what the news headlines would be if each individual also gave their hearts over to Jesus in that same way. What would it look like? Might start to look like the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, M. Scott Peck, he says it this way The whole course of human history may depend on a change of heart in one solitary and even humble individual. For it is in the solitary mind and soul of the individual that the battle between good and evil is waged and ultimately won or lost. When I gave my heart and my life to Jesus, it didn't mean that I was without problems. It didn't mean that I, suddenly everything was perfect and I was constantly avoiding harm and and hardship. Um, Somehow when we live in the in-between, between -between the first and the second coming of, of Jesus, it can get a little messy and complicated and leave us wondering God, when are you going to do something about this issue? But for those of us that have given our hearts to the kingship and the, and the rulership of, of, of Jesus, what I have found is that those people, when they experience that hardship, when they experience that, that tragedy and that difficulty, they, they, are not, they are not overcome by those situations. That as much as as grief and loss and pain and tragedy and suffering tries to lord it over them, they have a different king. I've heard from so many people, as I was um, performing a a funeral, people would say, you know, I don't know how I'd get through this without my faith. I I don't know how I would survive. And it doesn't mean that they're 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 without pain. It doesn't mean that they're not grieving and and suffering. It just means that there's something greater at play and at work in them that whatever suffering that they might endure in that moment, it will not overtake them. It will not have the last word, not even even death. Paul, uh, one of the leaders in the New Testament, he was dealing a lot with this because all of these people in the first and second centuries, they were, they were believing in Jesus, they were becoming Christians, but it was largely illegal. And they knew that if they were going to become a Christian, that they might endure suffering and pain and, and, and maybe even martyrdom as a result of them claiming the name of Jesus. And so what we find in the New Testament is that the direct evidence of being a believer in in Jesus Christ is not that everything is going to go well for them or that suddenly they'll be removed from all hardship and pain. No, but they would find joy in their suffering. This is what he says to the church in Rome, Romans 5, 1 through 5. It says this, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have attained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope. We boast of our hope in sharing the glory of God. This is a suffering people talking like this. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. There's something greater at work that whatever we might face, there is a different king that we bow down to and that we serve. And we are not subject to the authority and to the rulership of our pain and our suffering and the tragedies and the oppressions of this world. If you go through hardship and you are left questioning God's strength, God's ability, God's authority, God's um, love for you, that's okay. I want you to know that's okay. It's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to sit in the mystery of why God? We have so many scriptures in here of people saying, why God? Or how long, O oh Lord? It's okay to sit in those questions. Wondering why one person would be healed and another person would not be healed. It's okay to sit with those feelings. The more pertinent question for you might be to respond to the invitation of Jesus to rend your heart to him. That while we're trying to figure out the mess of this world and God's intervention and what he's doing, what he's not doing and all of that, while we wrestle with all of that, there is this clear invitation to us to rend our hearts and our lives over to him. So I'm wondering if we could gently set aside the the, the questions and the complexities of suffering and evil in this world and why God hasn't finally just said enough. That we could instead focus on that pure and holy and sacred invitation to each of us. Come, follow me. Come, give your hearts to me. Give your lives to me. Come to me, and I will give you peace, I will give you joy, I will give you rest. If we're constantly living on the traditions of the past, we'll never be satisfied. If we're living a faith that is simply a memory of something that happened in our childhood or something that we experienced long ago, it's never going to satisfy. The, the invitation, Of Jesus to rend our hearts, to give over our hearts to Him, is here and now. And is made available because He gave up His life a ransom for many on the cross. So, what I'd like to do is invite you to stand, if you would. And we're going to sing a song. And in the course of that song, if you feel as though God might be tugging on your heart I would invite you whether you're standing there in your place or if you would like to come forward as a symbol and a gesture of just saying God I'm just gonna I'm gonna give it all to you and it doesn't matter if you feel like you've been a Christian for a long time or you're not a Christian you're sort of exploring everything but if you feel that tug on your heart just to come forward I invite you to do that during this song as a gesture to give over your hearts, to say, Jesus, you're going to be king now, you're going to be Lord of my heart, of my, my life, of my home, I'm going to give it to you. God bless this time, and for those that would give over their hearts to you, do your transforming work in us as we sing, in Jesus' name, Amen.
2: say i have strength by the spirit of power that raised christ from the dead then now the poor stand
3: Let's pray. Lord, how precious it is to be in your presence this morning. Lord, to hear and to see you move among us. And Father, we are grateful for this hope in some cases that once was lost. that's now been renewed. We thank you for the hope at this Christmas time the hope of a Savior who came not to um, rule over us in in any kind of oppressive way, but came to love us and care for us, and eventually and ultimately to die for us. Lord, we realize that this morning we are nothing without that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we stand in that hope, we look forward in that hope, And, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. Much like the shepherds did that day when they walked away from that manger, glorifying God, praising your name. For, Lord, we've seen you. We've experienced your love. And we want more of it. Send your power and your presence, Lord, amongst us. Lord, in our lives, in our church, in our nation. Lord, send your power, your presence throughout this world. Because sometimes we look around and we, we agree who's in charge. And we realize, Lord, that... Ultimately, you have the final say and we'll have the final say. But in this meantime, as we struggle, Lord, we pray the folks would turn their hearts to you. We pray for a revival spirit. Lord, we pray for a Christmas spirit, the spirit of Christ who, who came to, to fill your churches. Lord, help us to love each other. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us, Lord, to, to submit to you. And Lord, help us to, to serve and not to look to be served. Lord, help us to express To this world that is so dark, the hope that's found through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Father, our our hearts do go out, and we think of those who are hurting in our world today, and Lord, some of those just in the past few few, um, day or so, Lord, in the tsunami in Indonesia, and those have lost their lives, and Lord, we look around, and we know there, there are families around this world hurting today. We lift them up to you. Lord, we know there are families around our communities that are hurting, devastated. Lord, through loss, loss of life, loss of jobs, loss of freedom because of addictions and others, Lord, I pray for them. And, Lord, for in our families that we stand here this morning and we represent some of those that we've been praying for, that, Lord, uh, need this word of hope. And Lord, maybe they're here today and have heard about this hope in Jesus Christ who wants our hearts, who wants a relationship with us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that that, that your hearts would be warmed and Christ would come. And Lord, surrender would happen. And Lord, we're just thankful that we can can come this morning in a in a, a country where we can worship freely. Where we can. Remind everybody the reason for the season. And so, Lord, today, help us to remember in our own hearts and minds. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. And we'll give you the praise and the honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just before you go this morning, two things, or one really big, long longer thing is Christmas Eve. Tomorrow night, really looking forward. And tomorrow afternoon, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 7 o'clock. Come, bring a friend and bring a neighbor. And one thing, uh, just one thing that we've kind of thrown in here at the last minute, and we're excited about it. This week we came, got knowledge of uh, a need by one of the missionaries we support, and it's uh, Bach and Heidi Chu and InterVarsity Missions right down here downtown, and we work with them and their student ministries at Case and at at, uh, Cleveland State. Well, they've had a major donor that has decided not to support uh, youth youth and student missions anymore, and so they've lost a significant. Part of their uh, support for the mission work there going on down in the in intervarsity and at Case Western, and that need is going to be somewhere next year between five and six thousand dollars, and we'd really like to meet that need Christmas Eve. So the offering Christmas Eve, the first five thousand dollars, and if God blesses us more than that, is we're gonna we're gonna designate and we're gonna say here we want to step in where that church stepped out. And so this is going to be above and beyond, uh, but I want to prepare you for the offering tomorrow night to come ready to give and to bless uh, that work that we work hand-in-hand hand with so much during the year That's exciting to do. So go today, and uh, certainly thank you for your your kind and generous giving. The offering boxes are in the back. Just drop your, your offerings there. Uh, but we're excited about tomorrow. Go in peace, go in joy, go in hope and victory. You're dismissed. See you tomorrow, 3, 5, and 7.